Let's pray. God, as we gather today, you have been the uh, one who has taken care of us our whole lives. You have taken care of us and you have taken care of our families going back generation after generation. You have cared for us, causing rain to fall, causing crops to grow, giving us homes to live in and jobs to work. God, you have been faithful to us throughout the generations. And so I pray that today you would remind us again that you're going to do for us what you've done in the past. Many of us today have worries that creep in today and they tell us that our lives are at risk and they tell us there are so many dangers, there are so many things that we don't know how to control, we don't know how things will turn out. God, I pray that today you would remind us that you have not changed and you will not change. That even if our circumstances change, the God who has promised to be faithful to us has not changed and will not change. You're not going to die. You're not going to, you're not going to um, end. That the days of our life will all be held in your hands. God, I pray that today you would, uh, that you would speak to those here who are grieving. Grieving the loss. Maybe it was a recent loss. Maybe it was a loss of many years ago. But our, our loved ones pass away. But we still carry with us the memories. We still carry with us sadness, regret over words not said or words that we did say. God, I pray that today that you will speak to us where we are at in our grief and show us that you're the God who is faithful through all of these years. God, I pray that today you would show us your love and satisfy us with it. God, we can be so easily satisfied with so many other things. We can try to be satisfied with so many other things and look to money and to our jobs. We can look to relationships. We can look to our reputation. We can look to control in our world. We can look to so many things to tell us this is how you will be happy. But I pray that today, here in this service, your word would speak to us and say, no, there is a love that can satisfy. There is somebody who can make you and give you joy. God, I pray that today, as we do walk these days, there are some in our church who are anxious today. I pray that the thing that would banish their anxiety about how the coming days are going to turn out, I pray that it would not be a doctor's report. I pray that it wouldn't be a bill that is paid, but it would instead be God who has been faithful through the generations is going to be faithful to me. So I pray that you would use that to deliver us from fear and anxiety. God, I pray for those that getting up out of bed is a chore and a challenge and it feels insurmountable. It feels like the joy will never come and the, the darkness will love, never lift. I pray, Lord, that your love would be the thing that would allow them to get out of bed. Not, just, not feelings, not circumstances, but that you would use your kindness and your faithfulness and the promise of your presence with us our whole life through. I pray that that would be the thing that makes the darkness in our lives lift. God, I pray that as we, uh, we look at this coming week, many things to do, jobs to go to. I pray, God, that you would show us in those places 
that that's not separate from our spiritual life, but it is part of walking with God. That if we are saved in Christ Jesus, we have been saved to good works. Whether it's on a tractor, in a bulldozer, in a classroom, whether it's working in a job, in an office, or staying busy in retirement, I pray, God, that you would remind us that all of our life is lived before you and that you would establish the work of our hands. And you would help us to know, oh, this is good work done before God. I pray, Lord, I pray for the churches that meet in Morgan County today. I pray that your word would be clearly spoken. I pray that your people would receive the truth and that they would reject error. I pray, God, that you would be worshipped in spirit and in truth. I pray that as the, the, the people gathering in the churches in Morgan County see Jesus today, they will be transformed to be like him for the good of everybody that lives there so that all of the people in Morgan County get to hear and experience the love of God who gave his son for the people who live in Morgan County. Pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I was at Home Depot to buy screws. And some of you don't ever buy screws at Home Depot, so you're like, okay, it's just screws. But if you need to go to Home Depot and buy screws, you've got a million questions to answer. Does this, is this structural or non-structural? Do you need it three inches, two inches, two and a half inches, a quarter, an inch and a quarter? Do you need it to countersink? Is it a pocket hole screw? Do you need it coated, uncoated? There are like a million choices. So I'm at Home Depot trying to figure out, like I, you know, I, like I planned it out, but I'm still like, okay, where, where is the exact screw that I need? So it's going to take me five to ten minutes to figure this out, unless somebody comes to help me. And a Home Depot guy, you know, orange vest and all, comes up to me, and I'm like, okay, cool, I'm saved. This is going to be great. And he goes, used to, we beat kids. And I was like, like... I thought you were coming to help me buy screws, sir. And so he starts telling me stories about this is how we used to raise kids. And I was like, coded, uncoded. Like, at this point, let me just get out of this conversation. I don't know. Evidently, something was on this guy's heart. He'd just been in some situation. Maybe he'd seen some kids misbehave or something. But he just decided this guy needs my help, and he needs to know how to raise kids. <laughs> and so... I was thinking of that story this week because there, like, we're in this series called Hope, Good News for Every Home. And I, I, we get to this point where we've been walking through the Bible to see what does the Bible have to say about our homes. And it gives, leaves us with the question, what makes a Christian home different? This guy is like, it's pre-beating and, you know, post-beating kind of, like, these are the two breaks. In, in homes is, do you beat or not beat? That's how we divide things. But here in this series where we've been walking through the Bible to see what does the Bible say about how we live in our homes? What, is a, what makes a Christian home different than a non-Christian home? What, what makes a godly home different than an ungodly home? So today, we're going to be answering not just what does that mean for those that have young kids in their house, but what about those of us that have adult brothers and sisters? What makes being a Christian in relating to our adult brothers and sisters different than not being a non-Christian? What is a godly way of an adult relating to their aging parent versus an ungodly way of an adult relating to their aging parent? What, is, what, is it, what does it mean for us in our homes, our home, your home, 
whether it's siblings, spouse, young children, adult children, any kind. What makes a godly home, what makes a Christian home different? Go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, where we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 that helps us look and see what makes a Christian home different than a non-Christian home. What makes a godly home different than an ungodly home? No matter what situation you find yourself, this passage applies to you and your home. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, I pray that you would help us to hear clearly about the two kinds of families we can live in and we can be. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would change us so that our homes point to and come from the gospel of God's grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You might say, Joe, this passage doesn't say anything about family. We've been walking through the Bible. We started in Genesis chapter 1. We've been in Deuteronomy. We've been in Proverbs. This is the first passage I've picked for this series that doesn't say father, child, doesn't say one of those words. And the reason is because I once had a teacher say, what's the first verse in the book of Ephesians that applies to parents? I may have told this story. I think, I'm sure I've told it on Sunday evening. But uh, we, in class, we're sitting there. We're like, well, I think it's is it Ephesians chapter 6. Maybe it's chapter 5. We're like trying to figure out what's the first time the Bible says fathers. And he says it's the first verse. Because the whole Bible applies to uh, the whole person. Everybody. Every verse of the Bible can be applied in our homes. And so as I speak about family, I don't want you to think about, oh, it's just those with young kids. Those with adult kids that are 55. It's those who have a brother or a sister. It's those that, are, that have parents that they care for. Whether you're single, long-time married, or widowed, this applies to you because all of us, God puts us in homes and in families. And what I want to show you today from this passage is that this, in Ephesians chapter 2, God calls us in our homes to live from and for His grace. To live from and for his grace in our homes. I want to show you four ways to live from and for grace from this passage. First, verses 1 to 3 tell us, Beware family life ruled by death. Beware family life ruled by death. 
Look at verses 1 to 3, where he describes a, a life ruled by death. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Here, God says that there is a way of living in our homes and in our marriages that is a way of death. But he doesn't say it's those that murder. It's not, he doesn't say it's those that steal. Whatever our list of the big sins are, that's not what actually characterizes a home that is ruled by death. He describes a home that follows the ways of the world, the ruler of the air. Specifically, he says, that gratifies their desires. And so any home that is driven by cravings and desires, he says, home ruled by death. You can attend church, but the home is ruled by mom or dad, husband or wife, brother or sister, ruled by I want what I want when I want it, and I want what I want right now. We can live with our adult brothers and sisters in a way of death that follows all of the laws on the outside, and yet, I want what I want, and you won't give it to me, so I won't speak to you again. That is a family life ruled by death. Following the ruler of the air, gratifying the cravings and desires of us. The, and this is the primary way of life in every home around us. The, the, the primary way of life in every home in Manchester and in Scott County and in West Central Illinois is a family life that is ruled by dead people. They can't change it and they want what they want. Maybe on the outside their home is falling apart or maybe everything is exactly right and every blade of grass is mowed correctly and all of those things look like right on the outside but at home it just stinks of death. This is the primary way of life in our homes and Paul says deserving of wrath. Not just those people deserve wrath. We do. Me, the dad who is ruled by himself. The, the husband who's ruled by himself. The grandparent who's ruled by self. The brother or the sister that's ruled by self. He says, ruled by death and deserving of wrath. There is a way of living in our families that's ruled by death. And so this passage calls us in our homes to beware and say, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. If that's how husbands normally live, God, change me so I'm not like that. If that's what normal marriage is, I don't want normal marriage. I don't want to be ruled by death. I don't want to relate to my parents or my siblings ruled by death. When I think of this kind of two ways of living, ruled by death and not, I think of in the, the story of the Bible, in the story of Paul who wrote this letter. You see, we know him as Paul, and we know him as a, a, a church planter and a missionary and a preacher. We know him as a gifted teacher and writing most of the New Testament. But the first part of his life followed God's law on the outside. He attended 
the synagogue. He had the best teacher in the country. He had followed every law, and when he got the chance to kill Christians, he said, I'll hold your coats, let's do it. When he had the chance to go and arrest Christians, he did it. Paul knows there is a way of life that is ruled by death. So, the first step in this passage is to look at verses 1-3 through and say, God, this is my house. God, this is my house. God, can you give me mercy? God, can you do something? God, can you change me? So the first way to live from grace in this passage is to beware family life ruled by death. Second way to live from God's grace in this passage is to receive God's grace. Look at verses 4 to 6. Verse 4 to 6. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Notice the very beginning of these verses. Your translation might put, but God, right there together. I think those are the most wonderful two words in the Bible. He has said, we were dead in our homes, dead in our lives, dead and deserving of God's wrath, but God. But God. God is the mover in the story, Paul says, that if our homes are ruled by death, here right now in 2023 in Manchester, Scott County, West Central Illinois, if our homes are ruled by death, here Paul says, but God. God is the one that can do something about it. God is the one that can do something about it. He says, because of His great love for us, because He is rich in mercy, So notice, this doesn't start with get your act together. If your home is ruled by death, if your marriage is ruled by your desires, your demands on each other, he doesn't say, "Get get it right. He says, but God. If you've been married maybe 50 years, ruled by death, there is hope because of verse 4. If you are a parent of adult kids and you look back on the years and you go, oh, My parenting used to be ruled by death. Verse 4 says, but God. But God, He's the one that can do something about it. The one who is rich in mercy. And I want you to notice the three things that He does. But God, who is rich in mercy. He says, verse 5, He made us alive. Then in verse 6, He says, He raised us up. And then He seated us with Him. When we were lost and deserving of wrath, when our marriages were a wreck and it was our fault, when our, when our relationship with our brothers and sisters is non-existent and we're the ones to blame, he says, but God, he made us alive with Christ, he raised us up with him, and he seated us in the heavenly places next to him. This calls to us and says, you do not have to be stuck in the power of death in your home. You don't have to be stuck. Paul calls to us and says in 2023, no matter what the years have looked like, the mistakes that you've made with your spouse, with your brothers and sisters, with your parents, with your kids, with your grandkids, no matter the wreck you have made, you don't have to be stuck. You see, Satan comes along and says, you aren't worthy, you can't fix this, this can never be undone. And God comes in and says, but God. 
But God, you don't have to be stuck. And this is a call to receive what God has done here in verses 4 to 6. He says, this is... This is what God does. God is the one who is put on display in our homes and in our families. We make a mess and God comes and says, let me make you alive. Let me raise you up. Let me seat you in the heavenly places and give you some and do something in your house that you have never been able to do. I'm reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul once referred to his life and his ministry as, I am just a jar of clay. Breakable, common, nothing fancy. So that God would be the one to get the glory. So that God would be the one on display. And here, I think Paul is saying the same thing. But God, who is rich in mercy, is doing something in your home and wants to do something in your home so that he's the one that gets put on display. And so the call to us is to beware the family ruled by death and then now say, okay, God, I'll take it. I will receive your grace. God, I have not been the husband that you've called me to be. God, I've not been the wife that you've called me to be. I've not been the parent, the brother, the sister, the niece or the nephew, the uncle. God, I've I've not been the child towards my parents that you called me to be. And so God says, come and receive grace for your home. If you have regrets, over the past, and and you want to change it. You say, God, can I change it? God says, wait and let me change it. Let me fix your home. Let me be the one to do something here. Let me make you alive and seat you in the heavenly places. And this, I think Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, is what actually transforms a home into a Christian home. A Christian home is not one where the kids do all the right things and behave at all the right times. A Christian home is not one where the the brother and the sister are constantly at peace and they get along with each other. The thing that makes a Christian home is mercy. It's God who's the one that does it. So the second way to live from God's grace in this passage is to receive God's mercy. The third way to live from God's grace in this passage is to embrace God's power and purpose. Embrace God's power and purpose. Look at verses 7 to 9. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, why did God save you? What did he save you for? Is it to pray more? To do lots of evangelism? To sing Christian songs? Is it to behave morally? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 says, in order that he might express the incomparable riches of his grace. The reason that God saved you is to show off how incredibly great his mercy is, not to get you to behave. Not to get you to accomplish something because his hands are tied. God is doing something in your life because he wants the world to see his mercy in your life. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that those of us that come here maybe limp our way to church and say, I don't know that I belong. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know my past. You don't know this week. This passage says, God did not save me so that I could behave and look right on the outside. 
It's so that the greatness of His mercy could be constantly poured out in my life. I'm an empty cup, and He says, great. That means I get to show off the fact that I'm not going to run out of mercy. Mercy is the... God's mercy is the power that God uses in our life, and showing off His mercy is the purpose in our life. And so, my question is, is that your purpose in your home? If you think about your relationship with your brother or your sister, or maybe all your brothers and sisters, is your purpose for your relationship with them to show off God's grace to them? Is the purpose in your life for how you relate to your aging parents to show off how incredibly great God's mercy is to them? Or is it to just get things taken care of and make sure they're comfortable? Because the, the, point of our, the point that God saved us for is so that the entire world would be filled with the message of a look at how great God's mercy is. If you have young kids today, or you have grandkids or great-grandkids today, is the point of your relationship with them that they would know and see and experience the mercy of God to those that don't deserve it? Or is it to try to train up people to get good jobs and live comfortable lives? Because God's purpose for your kids or your grandkids is to show His mercy off to them. Is that, have we substituted a different purpose for our kids and grandkids? We said, you know what? If anything else comes from my relationship with my kids, it's I want them to see and experience the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. Can we begin to live our lives in such a way where we embrace God's power and purpose? His mercy on us and His mercy to them. So maybe you have kids or grandkids in your family that have wandered really, really far from the Lord in whatever way. They want nothing to do with the Lord. The life is, their life is a mess. Maybe they won't even talk to you. Maybe from Ephesians chapter 2, God is calling us to live in such a way and to pray in such a way that we say, when the time comes that they get to know the, the love of God, the great love of God, I want, to be the, I want to be the one to show it to them. I want to be the one to live out with my kids and my grandkids the incomparable mercy of God for those that wander far into all kinds of messes. Can we begin to embrace God's power and purpose in our homes in that way? When I was in college, Thankfully, I didn't do anything illegal when we did this, but we had these rivals, and like everything that we did was to try to like one-up each other. It, maybe your high school's that way. Maybe, maybe you just had a rival, and you just, down, you're Green County versus Winchester. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, like you, maybe you had a rival, but I remember one time there was, a, there was actually a, a Christian event on our campus, and the Students from the other school came and stole our license plates and then like left them. And it's like, okay, every sporting, you know, every contest, every basketball game, every soccer game, every volleyball game, stands were filled, screaming and yelling, trying to say, we are the best. We didn't even care about volleyball, but we would show up when it was that school because we wanted them to know 
that we are better than you. Did everything that we could to show off and to show we are the best. I'm afraid in our homes so often, we spend all of our energy trying to show how we are better, how we can raise our kids right, how we can get our way in our families. And this passage says that calls us to live in our homes in such a way that we want nothing more than the mercy of God to be shown off. We live moment by moment to say, this is what the mercy of God looks like in my marriage. This is what the mercy of God looks like to my brothers and sisters. This is what the mercy of God looks like to my parents. Can we begin to have this all-consuming passion that we usually reserve for sports and begin to say, no, that's going to be for the grace of God expressed in our families and in our homes. Most of us are familiar with the story of the, 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 um, the prodigal son. I knew somebody once who told the story about a friend of his whose daughter really went and lived a life wanting nothing to do with them wasted everything, made a mess of everything. And when she came home, mom and dad said, okay, well, how do we live out the gospel? I think it means we rent out a steakhouse and invite everybody that we know and we throw a party for her and we give her a ring and we do everything we can to say, we're glad that you're back. That is what it looks like, but it's a call for us to not just wait for the big moments to rent out a steakhouse and throw a party. It's can we moment by moment in our homes throw a party that it shows off the mercy of God to our spouse who doesn't deserve it because of their harsh words, because of their demandingness to us, because they're angry. Can we begin to live with our kids who don't respect us the way they ought to so that we show the mercy of God to them moment by moment? Can we begin to live with our brothers and sisters in such a way that they say, nobody treats me like that. Why would you do that? It's because I want you to know the mercy of God that I've received. Second way, this, the third way, I'm sorry, that we live from, the, from God's grace in this in our homes is we embrace God's power and purpose. And then the fourth way to live from God's grace in this passage is walk in grace in your family. I want you to notice verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This, here in this passage, he starts, or I'm sorry, in this verse, he says, we are God's handiwork in our homes. Our homes are not things we created. Our marriage is not something that we alone had something to do with. God was at work putting our marriage together. God was at work putting us in a home with that brother or that sister or both. God is the one that is at work and who gave us those parents. God made us in Christ Jesus as His handiwork to do good works in our homes. We were created by God in Christ Jesus through His mercy as a way of showing off in our homes. God, you see, God calls to you here from this passage and says God made you to show his mercy and power in your family. With those sinners. With those undeserving. With those that have neglected you. God made you to show his power and his mercy off in that place with those people. 
But I want, you to, I want to show you something interesting about this verse. It ends, my translation ends with, prepared in advance for us to do. That to do is the exact same word that shows up in verse 2. In verse 2, he says, you used to live, that, that to live and to do, those are the same thing. Your translation might use walk, but in both of those places. Those words, to do and to do, to live and to do, are the exact same thing. And the point that God is making here is that in verse 2, you used to be dead and you lived like it. And now in verse 10, he says, and now you're alive. I want you to live like it in your home, in your family. You used to be dead and you lived like it at home. Dead in your sins and living like it. Now you're alive in your home. And, I, and God calls us to live like it. To walk like it with our kids and our grandkids and our brothers and our sisters. With our spouse, with our parents, with all of the relationships that God has put in our, home, uh, in our lives. God has called us to walk in His grace in that place. God is up to something in our homes. And He says, the home is where I want to show off my mercy. I've made you alive and I'm calling you to, to live that out in your home. Maybe you're here today and you say, what do you mean made alive? Joe, what, how, do I, how do we receive God's grace as you pointed in that second point? Maybe you say, how do we get there? How do we get from dead to alive? Well, I'm going to step back and tell you the story of the Bible real quick. The story of the Bible is that God made the world, and that makes him king over it. If you make it, you own it. And God made human beings he owned us and he said, here is the one rule. And Adam and Eve said, no, we will not follow your rule. We will not live in your kingdom. We want our own. And you and I have followed Adam and Eve in disobedience to God, rebellion against God, making ourselves his enemies. The Bible says that the wages of sin, that making ourselves his enemies, living in rebellion against God, the wages of sin is death. Physical death in this life and eternal death in hell forever. But instead of the Bible stopping right there with a condemnation of death, instead the story of the Bible is that Jesus came and lived the life that we could not live. And then He died the death that we, died, that we should have died and then was raised to life so that He can offer forgiveness and new life to anybody who will simply ask Him. The Bible calls it repentance and faith. That means turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus only to save us and following Him as Lord. And so if that's you today, let today be the day of salvation. That this is what it means to pass from death to life. It's not giving money to the church. It's not being baptized. It's not doing all sorts of good things. It's simply taking Jesus. That is what it means and then God says, and then I will do something with your life and with your family that you could not imagine. I will show off my mercy and grace in your home in a way that you could not even dream. You see, I think if the, the, the most wonderful part of Ephesians chapter 2 is it screams to us that God is doing something in your home through you. you know, some of us need to know that. Some of you think about your kids and your grandkids and you need to hear God is up to something in their lives and he's using you to do it. He didn't have to, but he loves them enough to send you into that family to love them and to show off his grace to them. 
And some of you have brothers and sisters, and you go, oh, Joe, you don't know about my family. We fight at funerals. Joe, you don't know about my family. This passage says God loves your family enough to put you in that home because he loves them enough to send you to them. Your family has hope because of what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. And it calls us to then live from and for God's grace. Live from and for God's grace. So do you do that? When you think about your, lo- your life in your home this week, or the last 10 years, or the last 30 years, do you, think, do you look at your life in your home and you go, oh yeah, I've been living for God's grace. Or I've been living in my own power, driven by my own desires. I've been living for my own glory in my home, not God's glories, and my marriage shows it. So do we, do we just commit ourselves to working harder this week to try to do this? If you're like me and this passage condemns you, where is the good news for us? Where's the good news for us who have tried to live in our homes in moral ways and we realize we've not lived for God's grace to be shown off? The good news of this passage is that God's call to live from the power and for the praise of his grace comes based on the already finished work of Jesus. He already lived in your place. He already died in your place. He already made you alive. He already raised you up. He already seated you in the heavenly places. The command follows all of that. So your love for your family, I'm sorry, so love your family based on what's already finished. It's already done. Forgive your brother because of what God already did in you. Show mercy to your wife because you have a seat in the heavenly places. Be patient with your straying grandkids because God made you alive with Christ. He can do the same with them. Show off God's grace to your parents because you are God's workmanship. And he loves them. So, this passage calls us to live from and for God's grace in our families. I want you to imagine what what might change in your life, in your home life, if you're not crippled by guilt, you're not trying to fix things in your home going, God must be condemning me at home as a husband or a wife, as a brother or sister. Imagine if you're not crippled by the past, you're not crippled by your desires. Imagine when your home is lit up by a passion for the grace of God to be shown. Not waiting for your husband to be kind and patient. Not waiting for your kids to apologize for the mess they've made in your life. Not waiting for your parents to apologize for what they did. Imagine when your home life is free and you get to, you get to live and love your parents lit up with a passion to see God's grace shown in their life. Imagine what, what changes in your relationship with your grandkids. When you are on fire to see God's grace shown to them. Not to see them behave. Imagine what changes, and you can go to a family reunion, and you say, God loves and has a purpose for these people, and I get to be a part of it. That sounds like a, a good news kind of family reunion. Not crippled by the past. Not crippled by what you have to do. It's look at what God's up to in my kids, in my family, my parents, in my siblings. God is up to something. 
Let's pray. God, I thank you that when I was dead in my sin, you came to rescue me. And now through me, you want to rescue others. God, I pray for the families that are here, the homes that are represented, the extended families that are represented. God, give us hope. Help us to believe in our hearts that you are the one that moves and is up to something in our families. And you include us. Help us in the power of the gospel to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.